What's up, guys? Welcome back to Spill Mama, the podcast for all things mama. No matter what stage of motherhood you're in, we are here for you. I'm Carly. And I'm Taylor. Okay. Today, we are so excited to have Grace Turrock joining us all the way from Missouri. Yay! Hey, guys. Hello. So, Grace and I have been friends for... Okay, I was trying to think about this, Grace. Have we been Instagram friends for two years? Maybe I don't know. I was trying to figure it's been out. Been a long time, two or twenty twenty two, at least since New Year's twenty twenty one. Did y'all meet through, through Madeline. Madeline? Yes, she was doing yeah. a tire together, okay. and like we were a part of a group. And I feel like that's where I made a lot of friends, like mm-hmm. you yeah. and some other people. Um, and so we have had a plan to meet in real life. Like we are going to make it happen. Yeah. So it just has not come to fruition yet because. Flights are so expensive. Yeah. But it's gonna happen. It's just she's across country. <laughs> I know. I wanna I wanna be a part of that because we I guess we met through like once we started Spill Mama. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think um, so. and I've yeah, so we're internet friends. Um when did we meet? When was I guess when Spill Mama started? Yeah. Probably yeah. And that's the thing is like, it feels so weird saying that you have like Instagram friends, but I just truly like, I, I consider you a friend and I respect you so much. And like, I just appreciate everything you share. I love sharing you with every, like all of my friends mm-hmm. and all of my people. So it just feels like such an honor to have you on here. You yes. just have such an incredible story. And I feel like you've shared a little bit on your Instagram mm-hmm. about your family. And, but I just, even me, like, I don't know everything about your family and like your kids and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so give us a little intro who you are, what yeah. you do, tell us your, your family sitch, all that. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you guys. You really just like pumped my tires and that was, really <laughs> yes, that's what we're here for. Yes, girl. <laughs> I love it. I'll take it all. Um, okay. So obviously I'm Grace. I am 30. I'll be 31 in December. Um, live in Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. Like, I don't know, like 30, 40 miles west. I'm really bad with directions. West of St. Louis. Um, and we were born and raised here, both me and Dan. I've been married to Dan for nine years. Um, we're like the exact nine, same. Right? We're yeah. nine and yeah. I'm about to be 31 next week. Like we're right, right at the exact same. <laughs> Yeah. Married, married young, did the whole thing real, real young. We've been together on and well on and off. I would say before we got married for 13 since 2008. Yeah. Yeah. That's really close to 2010. That's so crazy. We were so young and stupid. Who let us get married? I, I know. Like I look back and I'm like, it's a miracle that we've like made it here in such a healthy way because really we, yes. we knew nothing. We knew nothing. Yeah. We didn't know how yeah. to be adults, much less be married. No. We just had the husbands on like, what was that on Sunday? Yeah. And they were talking about, they were like, what, what did we, what were we thinking? Who Getting married at 21. That? Neil could barely, he couldn't even drink or could he drink he, at he y'all's wedding? Drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he could barely drink. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's crazy. I listened to the last husband's podcast and I loved it. So I'm looking forward to that. They're so They're fun. So fun. They're it was, it's a really funny episode. Yes. Um, so I have two kids, two boys, Austin and Weston, they are 10 and seven and our life pretty much is just dictated by sports schedules, school schedule, boy scout schedule, play dates, um, and all that good stuff. So we fit pretty much anything else in when we can. Um, it looks so so we like to travel. We'd like to do movie nights and just normal quiet things when we possibly can. Yes. So let me ask you, what feels more tiring having like the older kids now that are more self-sufficient, but like the crazier activity schedules mm-hmm. or like when they were like little and they required more of you like physically, like toddler stage, what yeah. do you think feels more tiring? Well, it depends. I guess if you're wondering about physically tired or emotionally tired, it kind of, yeah. physically tiring, I would say that the sleepless stages is yeah. Yeah. demanding of you. 
emotionally exhausting. I thought little kids were emotionally exhausting, but um, no, I feel like the bigger they get, the bigger and more real their problems get. And you take that burden on so heavily and it's just, and it's a lot more to carry. I think, um, you know, I was talking to a friend about this on Instagram the other day, cause she was talking about how she used to share like all these parenting things when, um, her kids were little, like when they're babies and you're just talking about like baby led weaning and things like that, that are easy to share. And everybody's kind of going through those things, but when they get older and they have their own individual mm-hmm. issues, it also becomes more of like private struggles because you're wanting right. to protect their privacy and not, not knowing who else is going through what, and that can be really draining. So oh right. my God. I think that's such a good point to make is like, it gets more and more complex because they're their own little human and yeah. they're like, just develop like, yeah, I feel like it's, we do want to protect them more mm-hmm. as they get older because you're like, you are your own little person and you yeah. have your own struggles and like, you want to respect that too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great point to make. Um, and talk to us about you, what you do for your job. Cause I want people to know. Okay. So I, uh, do you like how I like, didn't sneak that in there? Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to make you talk about it. <laughs> I'm the worst uh, about talking about myself like that. I am an online, uh, nutrition coach. I do macro coaching. Um, I've been doing it. I started my own business August, 2021. So about 18 months, Mm -hmm. it took off. It's going very, very well. So I am a full-time stay at home mom, work from home mom, business owner. Love it. You got, we'll, we'll link, we'll tag her and everything, but you got to go follow. She shares such great stuff. She really does. And that's what I love too, is that you share all parts of your life. Like it's not just like your macro coaching, it's all parts of your family and everything. Um, okay. So what I wanted to bring you on and talk to to you about today is Mm -hmm. you have shared with your son and it's Austin, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, which is her oldest. And just really, she's going to talk to us today about advocating for your child um, and also about navigating through emotional dysregulation, which Mm -hmm. she's going to kind of chat with that through us with that and what that is. And just like the, the roller coaster that it's been for her family, because I feel like this is something that maybe you could be going through it and you just don't know the signs and symptoms and what to look for in your child and just how to navigate that and how, what it's looked like for you guys. So, yeah. And I think that advocating for your kids, like so many people are going to um, resonate with that or will, mm-hmm. because it's becoming much more common. I think for so long, parents didn't know what that looked like mm-hmm. and we're almost afraid to do it. And I love that now it's like the standard of like, you know, people are just more likely to stand up and say, I really need to fight for this for my kid mm-hmm. because diagnoses look different. And like, how people are wa- walking through, it looks different. So I'm super excited to hear about this. And just mm-hmm. like, even for people like us who have little kids, what to Thinking look for. Of, yeah. What to look for. And just like what it looks like to put your kid first and like be a voice for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. We're going to dive yeah. into it. And I will say like, just to preface, even just coming off of like wanting to protect your child's privacy and stuff, yeah. you know, Austin, he's 10 now and he's understands a lot and he's really aware of like his own diagnosis and things like that at this point and what we do to help him. And we all kind of work together now. It hasn't always been that way, obviously. Yeah. But I did speak to him. I mean, last night before this, I did tell him I was doing this. I kind of asked him what he was comfortable with and like gave, you know, and told him, like, I said, it's not to say, you know, anything, it's not to shed any negative light on you, but it's like the hope is to help other people and other moms because I said, it's your story, but it's also very much my story. And I can help a lot of people by 
So he was really like good with it. And so I have full permission to talk about everything I talk about here. That is so cool that you asked. Yeah. Yeah. That you just like asked for his permission too. And that's something that like we are learning even with toddlers, like they are learning even their bodies and just asking for them for permission to like, you know, Well, it's hard. It's hard when you're a mom and like your kids walking through something. Cause like you said, it's their story, but it also is your story. It's so intertwined in so much of Mm -hmm. your day, your time, your mental space. Like it's such a weird balance of like talking about it and processing it, but still respecting them. So I think that is a really cool way to do that. Yeah. Okay. So explain to us what emotional dysregulation is because people, and I had to, I kind of Googled this too, but I want other people to know like what it is. Okay. So I do like feel the need to start out with stating the very obvious that I am not a medical professional in any way, shape or form. We always do a disclaimer. Love a disclaimer. <laughs> you know that. I'm not a, any like expert on it at all. Just kind of a mom who had a figure some things out along the way. So I also took to Google and I specifically was looking through Google, like for information about emotional dysregulation, how to explain it in the context of child development. Um, so this is kind of what I pulled and what very much applied to my story. So Emotional dysregulation is a term that's used to refer to emotional responses that are poorly modulated and do not lie within accepted range of emotive response in social social situations such as school settings or at home. My mm-hmm. case was very much at home for the most part. Um, possible manifestations of this include frequent tearfulness, angry outbursts or behavior outbursts, such as throwing objects and aggression towards self-care or others. Emotional dysregulation can lead to behavioral problems and can interfere with one's social interactions and relationships at home or in school. Mm-hmm. So for further context on that, um, and a spoiler alert, cause we're going to get into this part as well. My son, he was diagnosed with ADHD later mm-hmm. on. Um, so it kind of felt important to tie together how those two are also related. So, um, Kids with ADHD, they're going to experience the same emotions as other children. They're very typical children, but their feelings and their big feelings tend to be more frequent, intense, longer lasting. Um, The underlying brain mechanisms that help manage emotions are affected by ADHD. So emotional regulation development is often really delayed, which is what we have experienced for sure. So emotions hit them quickly, more intensely, they get overwhelmed, overstimulated. And the result is these big exaggerated overreactions. Um, and kids with ADHD also have a tough time Mm self-soothing and having self-compassion. So they need a lot more time to calm down and get over grudges and forgive people and also forgive themselves for their outbursts. So it's just this big, big idea of going from zero to 100 and not knowing how to get back down. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like even just with social media and stuff, like the term big feelings is becoming like way more like just people know what that is. And I've been talking with River about that because I think as toddlers, that's obviously a big thing with big feelings. But um, I think what you said is good. Like, and just in the time that it takes to self-soothe themselves or like get out of that, it's probably, you know, the, the signs and symptoms that you would look for. I was also thinking, and I was going to ask you, Grace, is there, is it like, almost like inappropriate responses to certain things is, would you say that? Yeah, I would say it's, well, it's really hard to tell when they're toddlers because tantrums are normal. And when they're tired, that's normal. So for a long time, it was kind of like, wow, like, do I just not have like the capacity to deal with normal toddler things? But like, I really felt like there was something more there um, because I had seen him have like what I would consider normal tantrums. And I had seen him have very not normal tantrums. And the the older he got and the more he got away from toddler phase and 
into more just like a little kid, I'm like, okay, we're at the point where these things should not be happening. Right. Um, so it was definitely, I don't know. I kind of forgot the question. <laughs> I just yeah, lost I was saying, Like the, the responses that are just like inappropriate at times, like you, like an over-exaggeration, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, those that when things got more violent than I wanted, than I, than anyone would ever want, obviously that is where I really started to like red flag things for sure. Okay. So tell us like, when did you start noting this, noticing this with Austin? So I know you said like in toddlerhood, but it was just shortly after when you felt like he should be kind of getting out of the tantrum phase. So how old would you say? Well, I mean, I honestly kind of felt like something was off from the time he was a baby, to be honest. I mean, he was always just a really, he was a hard baby. And most people are like, oh, my oldest was my easy one. And my second one was harder. But for me, like the, it's been complete opposite. He was a really hard, emotional baby. The moment he could start moving, he never wanted to be held. So it was really hard to soothe him and just regulate anything as if he would get upset. Um, and then, you know, when he was two, I took him to his, uh, like yearly checkup and we had just moved away from our entire support system. We were in Utah. Dan was stationed there for the military. So we had gotten there in February, May was his checkup and I had to fill out all this paperwork on him. And I filled out something that I didn't realize at the time was like determining if he was possibly on the spectrum. Yeah. And I knew at that time that he was developmentally delayed. He mm-hmm. wasn't really speaking very well. Um, and he should have been by two. He should have been saying more than he was. He was just kind of behind and still having these big tantrums. And I learned at that appointment that he definitely like the doctor kind of wanted me to maybe go get him evaluated at children's for like an autism evaluation. Mm-hmm. And I was super upset, obviously, um, but also not surprised. And I ultimately ended up not doing that because I just, I wanted to give him more time. He was only two. I was not ready to put any label on him. I just wanted to give him time to grow into things. That is really young. Yeah, it was really young. And I have a stepbrother with autism and my stepmom has walked through that. So I called her and, you know, he had sensory issues and things. And she was just like, you know, I kind of thought they might use this term with you, but she was like, I would, I would give him time. I don't think there's no rush to get any, anything done. He's so young. So, you know, fast forward to he's three, we now have a baby and, um, Dan leaves for deployment. So another important note is that I walked through a lot of this by myself, um, with the military and stuff. So it was just, it was a lot to juggle. And I was really young, you know, got married young, had kids young. So I was kind of learning as we went. Yeah. Um, Austin and I both, I say this often, like we've very much like grown up together. So knowing all the things I know now, I probably could have helped him so much better, so much sooner, you know, but you just le- live and you learn. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point of just saying that like, you guys are like, this was a journey for both of you and yeah. like that you're yeah. in such, such a better place, but like you, you don't know what you don't know. Like yeah, you didn't, right. you know, like you have to learn somewhere. And then like, I think it's just beautiful that you guys are where you are now. Um, okay. So you, so that was at his two year. And then when would you say, so he would turn three and then did you start noticing more things of Yeah. So I knew that, you know, he had lived a pretty disrupted life 
you know, because we, um, we got married and moved very quickly away from our support system. And then, you know, a year later we have a new baby and then a year, you know, and then four months later, Dan's deploying and then we're moving back home. And so, you know, he had moved a lot in his time and he really needed routine. I learned that early on, like routine, nap schedules, all the things, anything that was predictable for him was better. Anything unpredictable kind of caused a spiral. So that was really hard. So my mission when we got home was to get him in a preschool and get him on a schedule. Like that was number one top priority. Um, And that's when things really started to take like a left turn. Um, I got him in a preschool that was highly recommended, very, very, um, I guess prestigious would be the right word. Like I thought it was going to be like, I thought he needed something like this. Like that. Um, Yeah. And he lasted there one week and they all but pretty much asked him not to come back. Oh, <laughs> it was a whole, are you serious? Yeah, it was it was a really hard week. I remember like Dan had just left. I had this baby. Uh, I'm like not sleeping through the night. And I'm taking him in preschool. And every day, you know, they're kind of they had a really high expectations of the kids, not in just like their behavior and their ability to be kind of quiet and calm, but also just what they should be able to do on their own as far as like, you know, just being able to button their pants again after going to the, you know, going to the bathroom and things like that. And so, and he was very behind, he was delayed. He needed occupational therapy. I didn't know at the time, but his fine motor skills were really behind. He was still behind verbally. Um, even at three, he just wasn't speaking as well as he should be able to, he couldn't follow directions. So they were very frustrated with him, which of course, like, I had lived very frustrated, you know, for a long time. And so in a way, like I understood it, but in another way, I was very defensive. (laughs) It was a, it was a hard week. So I like it ended with every single day. They called me about something. There was some sort of problem or some, some sort of standard he wasn't meeting. And then the, the very on Friday, they called me and they're like, you just need to come get him. He's unconsolable. He's having a tantrum. We can't calm him down. And I did go get him that day. And I just remember being like, you guys don't have to put this part in there if you don't want to, I don't care. But I just remember being like, I'm not paying you for this. Like I hadn't paid them for tuition yet that week. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do not blame you. I would have done the exact same Same. thing. Yeah. Yes. But I will say that the one positive thing that came out of that week was the, his teacher who, um, she sat me down that Friday when I went and picked him up and she said, you know, here are all the things that I've noticed he is delayed. He does have these sensory issues, um, verbally fine motor, all these things where he should be. And she said, I would really, she knew we weren't going to come back. And so she said, I would really suggest that you go get him evaluated with your school district and see if he qualifies for special assistance, help therapies, things like that. And I didn't even know that that was an option. Like I just didn't know he was my first and I had no idea. I think so many parents don't know that and so many states, maybe every state, I don't know, because I know that that's the thing here is you have a certain amount of free resources up to age, whatever, but it's not really talked about. No, no. Well, I, I think it's really cool that that teacher did tell yeah. you. I mean, she didn't have to share that with you, especially with you guys leaving. So that's encouraging to hear that like she was like, okay, I know you guys are leaving, but this is what you can do yeah. for your child. Yeah. I think it, you know, all those negative hard moments, you know, in the moment you're like, this isn't fair. This shouldn't be happening. But looking back, like if I had not had that conversation, it really did change the rest of our trajectory as far as how well he was doing in school and his ability to um, be on the same level as his peers. Um, So I did go get him evaluated 
and he qualified for full five day a week preschool help. We got him on an IEP. Anybody who doesn't know what that is, that's an individualized education plan. Um, So he was on an IEP under the diagnosis of YCDD, which is young child with a developmental delay. Hmm. And this meant that in his IEP, we had a plan for him to be in a classroom with kids who were going through the same things he was. Um, they had special protocols in place for him. Like he wore a weighted vest most of the day that helped him stay calm. He had like a wiggle seat that he could sit in. They gave him a chewy thing that he was allowed to play with in his mouth. It was the only thing that was allowed to be in his mouth during the day when he needed that. Um, things like that. He also had speech therapy and occupational therapy built into his weeks. Um, so we got him in that and that things really started to change for him there. I will never, like, I like cry every time. Like I will never forget his teachers or that school or like what it did for him. He was able to ride the bus every day with like an aide. So I didn't even have to take him every day and he got to feel independent. It was really, really great. Um, And how old was he then at this age? So this was, um, three in the middle of the year for like three-year-old preschool. So he, um, he w- he went to the school for about a full 18 months because he also got to go over the summer because they they do like evaluations for that and kind of determine like if the child would regress without help over the summer. Yeah. Yeah. For that. So he pretty much went to this school for 18 months straight leading up to kindergarten. And by the time he graduated preschool, he didn't have any of those like weighted vests, like anything like that going on. He was done with speech therapy. Like he was caught up speech wise, um, but he did still have to do occupational therapy. So he went into kindergarten still with an IEP under the YCDD diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, And kindergarten, he was just like, he was pretty much just like all the rest of his peers, like on everybody else's level, developmentally wise, um, emotionally at home, things were still very hard. So school, he kind of learned at school how to, how to behave and how to be and, um, where to contain it. And then when he would come home, it was still very, very, what I would consider explosive. Yeah. So at that point, you know, he's five, we're in the middle of kindergarten and he's not a toddler anymore. And there's still some things happening at home that I'm like, this isn't, this isn't right. I'm like, you know, I'm not perfect parent, but like, I also know I'm not raising like, just like a straight up, like, you know, brat is what you want to say. Right. Who just like wants to hurt people every time he doesn't get his way. Like, that's not, that's not just what's going on. Like, I know he's a good, kind, sweet kid, you know? And I feel like it's so important to note that like, you know, your child and listen to like the little voice inside of you of like, okay, I don't feel like this is normal. Cause I've heard parents that say like their kid didn't speak at two years old, but they, they didn't feel like something was wrong and that they needed to take another step. So just like, I think it's really great that you like you, you listen and you knew your child and you knew that this was like a little bit off and like, you know, moving forward in that way. But, um, and so my question is, so after he graduated from this, and I was going to say too, I think also kids learn at an early age, they can come home and act very differently, right? That's just like normal. Like you treat your parents differently yeah. and you like, you are more emotional because you know, these are the people that love you and they're not going to, you know, abandon you. But um, I think like what you said, like when it's very explosive and I I've noticed that even with river, like he will become very explosive at times. And I'm like, okay, is this like a normal toddler tantrum? and like, or is this more than that? But is this because he knows he can push me? Would he do this with other people? So that's like a hard 
balance. Would yeah. you say like, it was just no, like him going from zero to hundred really fast. That's what like was big for you. Okay. Yeah. It was a hard balance because I agree. It's really, really hard to know. And I think the older he got, and especially, I mean, even through kindergarten, when we got into first and second grade and he's like getting bigger and, um, physically just stronger yeah. and having these outbursts, it became a point where I'm like, this is like, somebody has to start listening to me. Like, I know he's not doing this at school, but like, I can't, I cannot keep living this way. Um, I have a younger son and he, he learned very early on and we'll get into that too. Just, you know, when to get quiet and kind of retreat and stuff, which was really hard too, you know, cause you want to. Well, it's a safety thing at that point too. Like, yeah, I think like worrying for yourself or for your youngest child too, or for Austin himself, like not wanting him to harm himself. Not wanting that. And also just knowing that it was almost like, like he would go into like a red zone, like a blackout almost. And when he would come down from it, he would feel so terrible. Like it was such a shame spiral, which is very, very common with you know, ADHD, which is inevitably what he got diagnosed with, um, later on, but that was really hard to kind of know who he really is and want to cultivate that and encourage that and not know how to pull him out from there. And knowing that maybe if he like had a diagnosis and people would listen to me about that and I could get him the help he needed, we wouldn't have these problems. And the, the, the issue became that, you know, he got after kindergarten, you cannot have an IEP at school without a medical diagnosis. You have to have like ADD, ADHD, um, autism, something. Yeah. And, um, he didn't have that. And in order to get that, he had to be exhibiting behaviors for, you know, any sort of disorder in two environments. So you have to have you, I I don't know if this is everywhere. This was my experience, but I I think it's everywhere. I've heard, I think it's everywhere. I hear such like IEPs are so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, so my degrees in social work and I worked in a school for a while, um, where we worked with kids with a lot of IEPs and the parents, like, it's such a battle to get one and like the journey to get there, like the advocating, which I know we're going to get into, but like, it seems like they're so helpful, but it seems like it's so many hoops to jump through. And I think it is everywhere. Cause I hear that's a common thing, like for you to get one, it's just so many hoops, what you have to do, which feels crazy to me. Cause like what you're saying, like he's doing this at home. Like it's even, it's another yeah. hurdle to have to get yeah. over of like proving that like he would do this in another environment. Right. Too. Yeah. And it's so hard, especially, you know, and we are in a great public school system. We they're in a, he's in a really good school in our district, but it's just so big and saturated. Right. So when they're not, he, when he, the fact that he went to that preschool and got on a great, you know, path yeah, was reason. awesome. Yeah. But then he was so well trained for school. Mm, I don't know yeah. if trained is the right word, but he was so used to how to do that. That he wasn't exhibiting those behaviors. So in public schools, there are lots of kids who do the outburst thing at school, who go to school and th- throw chairs in the classroom and things like that. And so Austin was never like a problematic and I am using air quotes because that's the only word I know how to use here. He was never a kid that got that kind of attention from teachers. So he always sort of flew under the radar there. So when I would tell them the things they were dealing with at home, they would say things like, oh my gosh, we can't even imagine him yelling. And I'm so frustrated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so it, so it, it did sort of, you know, as he got older and the curriculum got a little harder and 
he was having a, just a tougher time paying attention in those very typical ADD symptoms where he's just talking a lot, wiggly in his seat and things like that. He did eventually get a diagnosis. Like, you know, I got a teacher on board with a lot of nagging. Um, Advocating right there. And just asking and asking, calling the counselor, just saying like, can anyone just like intervene a little bit at school? Here's what we're dealing with. You know, he, he cares about doing well in school. So if he knows his teachers know about this, this could help me. Um, things like that. So there was a lot of phone calls and I did a lot of backend work with other doctors and other avenues of trying to help him outside of getting any sort of formal diagnosis or medication, just to show that I had tried everything. We went to naturopathic yeah. doctors. I changed his diet. He got on like special gut protein powder for a while. We did supplements. We did a sleep study cause he wasn't sleeping very well. Um, I got him an orthodontic appliance to open his airway more cause he was a mouth breather, not sleeping well, things like that. We did therapy, counseling. I took love and logic parenting courses. I mean, I did. You are an amazing mom, Grace. You really are an amazing mom. (laughs) Thank you. I did everything. I mean, I did everything I could possibly do. Yeah, that's a lot. Did you have any other moms around you? Like, like I'm just thinking about what you're going through emotionally when you're going through all of this. Like, did you feel like you were like alone out in the ocean? Or did you feel like you had people? I mean, obviously you have doctors and resources, but like. Did you have, what was that emotionally like support wise? And I know, I don't know how much Dan was gone in in between those times, but. So he would, he would be gone on and off, but even when he was home at this point in our lives, he was working full time and he was also in night school for his master's. So he would be in school from like six to 10, a couple nights a week. And, um, those were definitely the hardest nights because Austin definitely knew he could push me more. Yeah. Well, I was going to say night times are harder in general. Like that's when the tiredness, the hungry, like, you know, the bedtime routine, that's, it gets really tricky in general. All of it. So um, that was really hard. It was very, I, it was very lonely and isolating. I did not have, you know, I'm also like, we've talked about, I had him very, very young. I was a young mom in the school. He was my oldest. So we didn't have, we had just moved to this area. So I didn't have like mom friends in the school really yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I rely very heavily on my own mom, but yeah. that was pretty much it. You know, I had my parents and Dan and we were all just kind of trying to figure it out. So I learned very quickly, like to ask for help because I would, it's hard to not take, it's hard to not take it really personally when they're lashing out on you. Like, even when you know, like they're doing this cause you're their safe place. And I heard that from everybody, from doctors, therapists, teachers, school counselors, everybody. Yeah. It's well, you're their safe place. And that's that great. Sense. But like, yeah. this is hard. Like, I don't, I like, I, like, I want to be their safe place, but also like, damn, like, how do I keep doing this? I don't want to be an emotional punching bag forever. You know, yeah, the, yeah. and the exhaustion of just trying to continue to be like the strong person for your yeah. child. I can just, I can't even imagine like how much that would weigh you down and just okay. feeling like I am nothing. I am not well, much of a person anymore. Yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking about how just stressful it is in general, just being a mom and then adding this layer on top of it. And then if you're by yourself a lot Gosh. doing it. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a lot. I'm sure there are quite a few emotional breakdowns. <laughs> I, 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 I think I, emotional exhaustion is worse than physical exhaustion. Yeah. Like if I have gone through something that has like really like taken a lot out of me emotionally, I will be, I will like want to sleep for days. Like yeah. I feel like for the physical exhaustion, like it will eventually catch up to you, but like, it's just like, it hits you hard when you are literally battling something. And then on top of that, worrying about your child's emotion too, like that just adds in a whole nother element. I'm sure. 
I coined the term emotional hangover <laughs> during that time. Like, cause okay. it was just, I would just cry and not just because you cry because you're worried and you cry because you're exhausted and you cry because you feel like you're failing them because everything you try doesn't work. And then they feel terrible and you know that there's a better way and no one's listening. And, but am I crazy? Am I making this up? Am I overreacting? It's, it's a lot. Um, so it was, it was quite a process and you know, it's, I mean, I would say it's still a work in progress for sure, but we have learned a lot along the way. And ultimately, you know, when he did get his diagnosis, we, it didn't take us very long to decide that we, we were going to try medication because I had already tried everything else. Like I already did my research and tried everything else. And I felt very strongly that there was this tool that we could use, um, that would make his life easier because when you have this, you know, somebody like Austin, he experiences a lot of, um, corrective feedback, you know, Sit mm-hmm. still, sit up straight, stop fidgeting. Da, 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 don't touch that. There's always something that you could be, always something you could be saying to them. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, um, a lot of kids with ADHD also have very poor self-esteem and there's a lot of shame mm-hmm. and a lot of just lack of self-worth and self-compassion there. Yeah. So I just felt really strongly that like I was almost doing him a disservice to not give him something that could just tone everything down. Yeah. And, and I feel like just building that confidence in your child is so yeah. important. Like you, we all want our kids to feel confident in themselves. Yeah. And like, how hard is that when they're, when they're battling so much internally and they're constantly being recorrected? Like, well, and I'd be interested to hear, and my, I'm sure my husband wouldn't, care if I shared this because we talk about all the time, but he, he was diagnosed with ADHD too when he was younger and, um, still takes medication for it because it makes his life way easier. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious to hear, so like Neil has a lot of energy and it's like one of those things where I can totally see. And he tells me stories all the time about school when he was told to be still, you know, his note always home was Neil talks a lot. Neil's always distracting the other kids, you know, whatever. But his energy is like one of my favorite things about him. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to hear from you, like how, how, what would be helpful? Well, I guess we'll talk about like what's helpful to talk through, um, to encourage other parents who are walking through this, but like, what are ways, obviously there's things that are hard and different about it, but like, what are the things about it that makes him special and like that you love about it, you know? Yes. And I've always said that, you know, I've said it Gosh, for, for, for as long as I can remember, I've always said, you know, the things that make him sometimes a little more challenging and different are also the things that like make him so freaking wonderful, right? Like there, I think there's this common stigma, stigma about kids with ADD and ADHD that maybe they're not smart um, and kids with emotional dysregulation in general, or maybe just not smart or, you know, delayed this and that. But really, I have found the opposite to be true. I think they're so smart and so intuitive and so deep and they feel everything so hard, which is why they experience these big feelings. And he's so creative and that hyper focus, you know, if he gets into something, he's going to freaking he's going to master it. And that's like his whole life, you know, and it's it's fun to see them get so passionate about things and dive in and. Um, he has an amazing memory and now he's like, you know, above and beyond with verbal, you know, being able to express himself verbally and his vocabulary and stuff. So it's amazing to see them learn and grow and, um, succeed at things. And 
he wouldn't be that without the hard stuff too, you know? And so it's, it, you, you can hold both things. Yes. Some of the smartest and most successful people are, you know, air quotes again, not neurotypical. Correct. You know, I'm not neurotypical. Yeah. 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 Sometimes being the norm is not always the best, right. but it's going to make me emotional because hearing you talk about this, like, River is a very, very emotional kid too. But, and like, I'm talking like he watches a commercial and he will cry. Like if he sees someone else crying and like, it makes me like, it is hard in navigating some things because he's not just going to watch something and just pass it by, but he feels so deeply and he loves so deeply. And like he, when, when he is showing love and affection, like, you know, it is like from the deepest part of it, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so pure. And like, I think that's just such a beautiful, like it does come with the big emotions too. And the heart really hard things too. But like, I just love that you asked that Taylor, because there are, that's part of who they are and like what makes them so special and what you love about them. Well, I think that's where, and I'm sure that came after lots of you processing and working through all of it. Like I'm sure when you get any kind of diagnosis that isn't quote unquote typical, that it's, you know, it's a lot to work through and swallow. But I think that that's part of like learning to advocate for your kid is seeing the parts of it that makes them them as special. And like, there's no, there was no mistake made in them when they Mm -hmm. were created, you know? Yes. A hundred percent. And I also think, you know, in the, it's, it's important, like when we're having conversations like this, it's really easy to recognize that and, you know, say all these things, but when you're in the moments that are really, really hard, that's when you have to hold on to that because it is so easy. I mean, both my kids, because I mean, full transparency, my youngest just got diagnosed with ADHD like a couple months ago, Um, but we haven't had the quite same journey with him. His has been very much like school problems and not home problems and not much emotional dysregulation, but either way in my house, there is pretty much always something that I could be correcting all the time with both of them, just, just from disorganized papers and putting their backpacks in the wrong place and, you know, yeah you know, there's always something and having to choose not to, and choose to look at the good stuff because you can't just, you have to start picking your battles. I got to say picking your battles, I'm sure is a big one. It's, it's huge. It's everything. It's everything when it comes to not because it's like, Oh, the kids are running the show or because we're, we don't have any authority, but because I need a relationship with my kids outside of just like correcting them and like, almost like being the mama duck and like following them around all the time. And yeah. Every, you know, uh, dictating every direction they take right. they have to start. We've, we've had to really lean heavily on natural consequences rather than just like, you know, punishments. There's not a lot of that. And, um, you know, I, f- I feel like we were talking about this earlier. Like when I said, you know, that I talked to Austin about it and I include him in stuff, that's been a really big learning lesson that they, do better when they feel like they have a say and they're heard and they're in control a little bit. So, um, no, like natural consequences. I shared on Instagram a couple, I think it was last week. They broke our trampoline. They're really, really hard on their toys and they're, they're just, they're all boy. Right. And they're really hard on their stuff. And this is the second trampoline we've had. They broke the first one. They got a new one for Christmas last year. They broke this one and we're not replacing it. Yeah. And it wasn't this whole, like, you know, saying like, we're getting rid of it and you guys did this and that there was no yelling. They just came home from school. And I said, you know, I've learned this from therapy and from love and logic courses and things like that to come at it with empathy and just say, you know, unfortunately, you know, you guys, we can't buy another trampoline and we really wanted you to have this, but it doesn't work and it's not safe anymore. And 
we need to take it down and dad doesn't need to take it down by himself. Like you're going to go out there and you're going to help him take it down. Cause he didn't break it. Yeah. Rid of it. And they were of course like devastated. There were tears, oh, yeah. And tears, yeah. and tears, but there wasn't these big like outbursts and fighting and we weren't the enemy in it, you know, yeah. so finding a way to include them and not necessarily just blame them and tell them yeah. that they're doing everything wrong and badly has been a game changer. Well, I feel like so that's good. part of like what I've been learning and we've talked about just in our friendship together is like disciplining is not ne- is not always just yelling and telling. It's like a teachable moment. Like I feel like that was such a teachable moment for your kids. What yeah. you did is like, I'm not going to sit here and yell at you. You know what you did, yeah. but I'm going to explain like we had to take care of our things and like, because you didn't take care of it, like we can't have fun on it anymore. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like partnering with them and teaching yeah. them like that's so mom great. and dad spent money on this and like you know, we like money is important mm-hmm. <laughs> to make our lives yeah. around and like, yeah, like it's just a consequence. And I think that's so true because discipline obviously is important, but I think you learn, I mean, I look back at my life and I've learned way more from just like natural life consequences. Yeah. You know, Even yeah. your guys' episode with, with your moms and talking yeah. about like taking the backpack to school and they forget it. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, there's a, there's a line of like, okay, mistakes happen. And sometimes when you make a mistake, you just somewhat, you just want someone to like, give you some grace and bring you the thing you forgot. Yeah. But if it's happening again and again and again, like eventually, you know, things are going to happen. Weston, it was Halloween day at school the other day and he wanted to wear his inflatable dinosaur costume to school. I literally die. I die. It's so funny. I love the costumes. They're They're hilarious. Hilarious. But me and Dan are like, it's going to come back. <laughs> It's going to break. Something is going to happen, you know, no. And so we have this backup costume and we just gave him the choice. I said, here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I think might happen. We have this other costume. I said, you can do whatever you want, but I just want you to know that if something happens to this inflatable costume, Mm -hmm. we are not replacing it. You will be a ninja for the real Halloween instead of your dinosaur, you know, so so decide what to do. Yeah. But so kind of just like, do you want like asking, like, do you want our opinion? Here's what I think and letting it happen. We're not great at it. Dan and I are both like very much like type A and we are like micromanagers and we really want to just like tell them what to do. So it has been a learning process for sure, but it's so good though. Cause I feel like you instilling that in them, it's going to, as they get older, especially becoming teenagers, I think it's just going to be a natural part of them growing up is wanting to know your opinion. Like I think Mm. that kind of parenting opens the door Mm -hmm. to like, being partners in life and like yeah. y- like you're still the authority but like the older they get the more it's like they do have to figure out that like if it's always just this is what it is point blank it doesn't let their brain like, learn how to create yeah. that logic of like action and consequence yeah and then also like learning hey these people that are my parents are older and smarter than me and they've lived a little life and he wouldn't have thought about what was going to happen in that dinosaur costume. I know. He just wanted to wear it. But yeah. that creates, like, I think that's so smart because it creates the space for them to learn if I do X, Y, it yeah. ends in Z. Well, I mean, David and I were talking, we went to Clemson yesterday and we were talking about like, I'm so nervous about our kids going to college and like all of the things that can happen. And I was like, but this, this is a great example of like teaching them, like you can do this, but yeah. this is potentially a consequence. Like if you do these actions, like this may, you know, just like. I think that's such a great way of starting so young and giving them the option, but also telling them if this is your choice, this could happen. Like, you and know. I, I think the hard part for me would be like, if they make the choice that I don't think is like the quote unquote right choice or smart <laughs> choice, letting it play out. Oh yeah. That's what happened. Cause he was so, he was like, I think I'm going to take it anyway. And he like, kind of, I don't know he went to the bathroom or something. And Dan's like, I'm just going to tell him no. He can't. <laughs> 
I said, you can't do that. I said, I want you to like, I want to just like hover over them, but you, you can't do that. And especially I think when it comes to like bringing it back to the ADHD thing, you know, there's a lot of disorganization and forgetfulness and messiness and things. And, um, you know, he wouldn't care if I said it. So I'm just going to say, I have a, my, my brother has ADHD and he's still to this day, like, you know, well, lose his phone in an airport or like it has to replace his ID, you know, every couple of years because he loses it, doesn't know where his keys are, things like that. And part of that, they're just going to have to, they're going to have to figure out how to do those things on their own. So, you know, I'm here to help and, you know, not nag. And if they ask for help, I'm going to help, I'm still going to help them look for their stuff. You know, they're seven and 10, but as they get older, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, figure out systems and what works. And so routine and schedule has always been a really big thing here. They both like, I call it front loading. Like they need to be front loaded with everything that might happen that day. Like if there's a plan that comes up after school that Austin doesn't know about, it still really throws him off. And like he, he gets, he gets visibly very frustrated. The outbursts have severely decreased as we've figured out medications that work for him and done counseling and got him with a psychiatrist and all those things. But, um, it's definitely, you know, figuring out what works for them and routine, 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 routine has been a big one. I'm really glad you said that because River just had his two-year appointment. And my doctor was saying that with her oldest son, she had to do that. She had to like a week in advance, like if they were going to do something like a week in advance, she would start preparing him like each day say like, okay, in a few days, we're going to do this because she learned that if she just sprung something on him, like it was not going to work well. So I think that's a good point to make. Like if you see that in your child, like just preparing, Mm -hmm them a little bit in advance and seeing if that works. Um, I mean, I'm the type of person where I don't like to have things sprung on me. Like I am not, people think I'm an Enneagram seven, but I'm actually not because I'm just, I don't want to be like things sprung on me all of a sudden. And I think that like they're little people too. So we have to respect them and like, think about what they would want to feel at the same time. Um, I have a question and I'm just throwing this at you. So if you don't have an answer for it, no stress, but (laughs) Taylor's really going to do it <laughs> thinking about, well, I'm just thinking about like you were saying, you know, routine schedule and all of that and like how, just how it's changed and you've like grown with it with them. So thinking about when puberty comes into play, have you started to, <laughs> if you can't see Grace's face, but she just, she just went her to a stress level yeah. 10. Yeah. Have you started to like, think about that? Or is that something that like in therapy, whatever you start to kind of forecast and like prep for I know you can only do so much but you know like I've already noticed like he's very preteen right now and like things are already like happening and I (laughs) I'm really gonna have to get my shit together on this one because I just tend to like anytime any sort of puberty especially because they're boys yeah I'm so immature about it like I just (laughs) Same. I literally, I'm, my son's only two and I'm like dreading it. Well, I just think about like the testosterone, like, yeah. you know, when they go through puberty, I think it's so common for them anyways, to feel like ragey and have like outbursts and like frustration and anger. Yeah. So I'm just thinking like what that's going to be like. So um, yeah, on a more serious note about it, I, that was a big concern when we couldn't get the temper tantrums under control, even just because they, what really changed things for us was when we found a psychiatrist, when I finally went to his doctor and I said, listen, we've been on this, you know, concern ADHD medication for a long time and it's helped in a lot of ways, but we are still having like Mm. violence problems in our house and like these outbursts. And, you know, I said, and I, and I cried, I was in the office crying. I'm like, I just can't, I need something else. So she recommended some psychiatrists and we found a great one. And he, 
helped us kind of find this. And I won't credit it just to the medication because it's definitely been a combination of everything, but he did help us find this like cocktail that really seems to have changed things for him and, and slow down these outbursts, but before, and that, but that was just like a year ago. So up until, you know, a year ago, I was still having days where like he would like throw bar stools across the family room if he was upset and like not care who or what it was going to hit. And I, and I remember, you know, Dan was away for a military thing for like four months at that time. And I called him and I just remember saying like, he can't, like, I can't hardly like contain him with my own body anymore. I said, he can't, you know, and he hit me one day and Dan's like, he can't be 16 and doing this, you know, and and not because he wants to hurt his mom, but because he just has nowhere to put these, like he just has something going on. And, um, so it was, it's always been a big concern. And so I feel, I felt a lot more calm about it in the last year. We've gotten into a really good place in the last year. And I think it has to do a little bit with growing up and a little bit with medicine and, you know, a little bit with giving him a little more freedom and Dan and I really adjusting our parenting. Cause for the longest time, it was very like, to your point, like testosterone, you know, kind of like this alpha male thing between the two of them. And that's always been really hard. And so Dan and I having to come around to like, we can't expect them to just like fully conform to our lives. Like we, like we have to understand it. And a lot of that came from understanding how his brain works and understanding what ADHD is and understanding that really what it is, is it's a dopamine imbalance in your brain. Right. So these, these mood swings for some people kind of look like small bell curves, you know, and for, for them, it's like big spikes, big plummets. And the things that might, um, you know, make this, make the dopamine spikes occur are things that even we didn't have as kids because now we're, we live in a world that's made for like instant dopamine spikes all the time. So the things that, you know, set Austin off or, you know, make him very happy are always at his fingertips. So it's all just very touchy. And then you couple it with this like shame spiral and this, like, you know, kind of knowing that because you're being corrected all the time and because you, you just, kids with ADHD just kind of know, they know something's off. Right. And so kind of living with this thing, like I'm different. I, you know, I'm shame, 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 shame is kind of all I've learned. And so wanting to negate that we have had to really change the words that we use with him and the way we, we parent him. And that has been a learning process. And I think we're all kind of coming to a point now where it's a lot calmer that's and good. he, he feels a lot more comfortable now apologizing quicker and admitting when yeah. he's wrong and not feeling like he has to double down on everything, mm. which is a really common trait too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think just educating yourself, like just knowing that that's something I didn't know, like the dopamine that it's just like the, just knowing that and like knowing, like trying to look at your child and knowing that that's what's going on in the inside of their body. And that sometimes it's really something they can't control in the moment. Like mm-hmm. I would imagine that would you know, give you a little bit more empathy and grace towards them. Um, however you can't like live in that, like, you know, you have to worry about your safety as well too. Um, but I think that's just, that's really why we were so happy to have you on to talk about and just educating, because I'm sure there's so many moms that like maybe seeing these things and just don't know what it is and what's going on. Um, okay. So I do want to ask you a couple of other things too. So, um, Grace is obviously we've said a macro coach and she works out a lot. And so I have watched on several times you've posted that like your son will join you. And like, I know that for working out like that is like your safe place, like that is your me time. It helps you recharge. And that's just what you've shared. And I think it's really cool how your son has watched you and how you have implemented this routine and like, how has that helped him? And well, first off, how has it helped you by, you know, 
adding exercise and making that a priority and how has it helped him too? You know, um, I'm, I feel lucky that like I got into the exercise routine, um, before things got really, really hard with him because I really started relying on exercise right after Dan deployed and, you know, he was in preschool and Weston was a baby and, um, it was just part of like getting through our day. Like we just needed a routine and I needed one thing that was for me. And that was like my hour. And I really, that I really started to rely very heavily on that. And when things got really, really difficult with Austin and I would have late nights of lots of crying or, you know, not sleeping well, just because it was so just exhausting in its own way. Um, there were lots of times where like, I didn't want to, like, I wouldn't want to get up in the morning and work out, but like, I knew I'm like, I, just have to have one thing for me. Like I've got to get up before him. I've got to center myself, feel like I did something for myself because it's really hard and really a crappy feeling to feel a little bit like resentful of the situation that you're in when you're so feeling like a failure and you're so tired and worried all the time and knowing that you're doing your best. Like I'm giving my best. I'm doing everything I can. Everything's coming up short. He's not happy. I'm not happy. Weston's not happy. You know? So that was, um, just knowing that I had this one thing that was for me and I don't know, I just really relied on it. And so I think it's one of the reasons, like I have a really hard time to this day skipping workouts because it like it's a lifeline for me for sure. Yeah. And I just love like now that Grace gets up every single morning and works out, but there are sometimes she'll post on her Instagram. Well, like Austin will get up and he will join in your workout. And I would imagine that has to be a great outlet for him too. Just mm-hmm. in like, I mean, for me, like when I'm having a very emotional day, like working out is such an outlet and like gives it a space almost to release. And well, like, it does stuff to your brain, like yes. endorphins, like it's scientifically, right. It's doing things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just so great that like, you've kind of set him up to see that as a routine and that like, that could help him too. And like help him get his emotions out or whatever it looks like. I just, I think it's so great. Yeah. I've always been really big on like, we work out to be healthy. We work out to be strong. And you know, if you, and I never push him, I've always, I have found that things go a lot better when he is active. So he's always been in a sport, you know, we've tried jujitsu, we did soccer, we've done like all the things he's in baseball right now. He's going to start basketball. He wants to do football in the spring. I'm like, he just wants, he's on a motor. Right. Yeah. Um, And so he, he does like to work out when he does wake up, but he also, you know, he'll ask me almost every night, will you wake me up to work out with you tomorrow? Hmm. And I always say like, yes, like I'll wake you up by six, but you don't have to get up. So I'll go, I'll take a break from my workout, go upstairs and be like, Hey, it's six. Do you want to come wake, you know, work out? You don't have to, you can go back to sleep. And I would say like 50, 50 when he decides to come down and, but I don't ever like pressure him. I'm like, you know, if you want to, it's great. You're welcome to come. If you don't want to go to sleep, like that's so great. But Grace gets up at like four 30. So she's already done with her workout. Yeah. Yeah. And I do that on purpose. I'm like, you know what? Like I, I will let you join, but like, I need a little bit of time, just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. No. And I think that's a good, I think that's okay to say that to your child. Yeah. Like I need some time to myself yeah. Yeah. for you to join like towards the end. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, I think that makes complete sense. Yeah. That's so great. That good. Um, okay. So we are, these were just some questions that we wanted to throw at you. Um, what advice would you give other moms that may be going through something similar with their child? Um, if they're in the thick of it. 
<clears throat> well, there's a lot. I mean, if you can find people, you know, if you can find people who are going through the same thing, I say, look for them. Um, yeah. I say, be honest, even if you don't know people who are going through it, I say, be honest with the people you can trust and have people yeah. to talk to. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, it's, it's a very lonely, isolating place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably didn't do that enough and I wish I had, um, having something for yourself, if it's working out, if it's just getting outside and going for a walk, I'm big on that too. Having podcasts to listen to something where you can just quiet your brain from it for a minute, um, for yoga, whatever it might be. Um, and I would also say just trusting that who you are as a parent. So that's what it really came down to me in the moments where I was where I've been worried or not sure if I'm just screwing everything up is at the end of the day, like if you're worried that hard about it and if you know you're doing everything you can, all you can do is the best you can with the information you have at the time and the resources you have at the time. And that's going to look different for everyone, which is really unfair, you know, to because yeah, there's, there's some people who have all the resources at their fingertips and a lot of people who unfortunately do not or don't have school districts that are going to, you know, help them out as they should. And there's a lot of there. That preschool that you were talking about, I, I don't know. I, there might be something around here. I, I don't, don't know, know about that. South Carolina public schools are not the greatest, but I was thinking like, that is so amazing. It is amazing. Like, That's not an option. Cool resource. For, yeah. 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 And I will say, I don't know if they're still going because it's been a long time, but if you're in the area, it was United Services for Children Preschool. If you're in the uh, St. Charles County area in Missouri, but um, so definitely something worth looking into if anyone is yeah. local, but yeah, I agree. It's, there's not enough information out there in general. And I think that for a long time, I was scared to talk about it because you do, you want to protect their privacy and protect their story. And, you know, there's, there's a level there of, yeah, that's valid. But also, like I said, like, this is my story too. And it's Dan's story too. And, and Weston's, you know, he's been impacted by it. And so to kind of, keep it all inside and keep it in your home. Like it's like a dirty secret or something sometimes can make things harder, worse. Um, which is why like, I'm happy to do this today. I don't know that I would have been able to have this conversation three years ago. Yeah. And Um, that's a good point to make. It's like, if you're not ready to share, that's, that's, it's okay. If you're in the point of your journey and you're not okay with sharing, that's okay. And you know, you may never be to the point, but I think it is helpful. And that's why we wanted the podcast because it's just helpful knowing that you have other people around you and that you're not alone. And that's like, I think as women, we are especially geared towards community and just knowing that we're not alone and that yeah. someone else is going through it. And I think the protecting your kids thing, I'm so glad you've been saying all of that because mm-hmm. I think it is this natural thing as moms, if we're walking through something with our kids and it feels really hard, it feels like, well, it's just our job to carry it. And it is, but like, it, it is your job, but also like, it's your job to be a healthy human. And part of that is like processing it, even if it is with just like you said, like just your people. Yeah. But it's not, yeah. It's not like if you are talking to the right people, they love your kid. They love you. Like it's a safe place to be honest. Cause sometimes you have to say things that are really shitty, but you have to say them. You have to get them out. Yeah. There's lots of times that I've, I can tell you, there are times where I've said like, I love him so much, but like, it's so hard for me to like him in this moment. It's so hard for me to not be angry at him. And that's, and then you feel guilty for that. And then you have to work through those feelings and there's a lot. And so I think there's, there's a level of just trusting your gut and your like instinct as a mom, like even like to make the decision to do medication. Like I knew, I knew there were a couple people in my family who were going to be like, not for that. Mm -hmm. And I just had to 
stand my ground and do it anyway. And since then, everybody has come around that maybe wasn't even before because they see the night and day, the night and day difference in just his level of happiness and ability to live a very quote unquote typical life for the most part. And just, I think just coming down to trusting your parenting and that you are doing the best that you can for your kid and no one's going to know better than you. Yeah. Even if you're 22 and you don't know any better, like you're still doing the best that you can. You don't know your child you know. any, yeah. more than any yeah. doctor. So, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. That's, true. that's a great point. Um, okay. What, in what ways has this experience made you all closer as a family and what way has it been challenging? Which I know you've shared a lot with the challenging yeah. part, so you don't have to go into great detail. But. Well, you know, I think it's really important to emphasize it. Like it is, you know, even though it's Austin's, this is technically Austin's story and things that he has had to carry and work through with all of us. Um, and there is a level of, okay, you have these, imbalances, you have these medical diagnosis, like you have valid reasons, but once you have all the information, there is a level of responsibility as you get older to do the best you can with that information. It's not the world's responsibility to kind of work around you all the time. You know, that's really important to me to know too. So when you live in a family, that's your world and you have other people's emotions and other people's lives that you are impacting. And -hmm. I think it's important to know. So, you know, he, you know, he has a little brother and when he, in his most explosive times, Weston was like two and three and it was, he had times where it was really scary. He would just know when to leave the room, when to go in the, when to go into his room, close the door and just wait for it all to be over just to get out of the way. Or, Or he would, you know, Austin would run away sometimes. Like he would leave the house and run and, you know, and Wes would be crying. Is he coming back? And so there's things, it's really, really hard. And then you feel like you're failing that kid. And those, um, it that's hard, but that's also what's brought us closer together because I've always been really honest with Austin when he does things to impact his brother and vice versa. Cause it's been vice versa too. And, you know, you can have these big feelings, you can have your struggles and, but if you are not doing the work too, like if we're all working and you're not, that's a problem. And that, I mean, when he's, you know, five, you can't really say that, but now that he's 10, you know, when things come up, it's like, mm -mm, no, you, you have to learn that the world doesn't just revolve around you all the time. And, you know, there's, that's with anybody, you know, even adults who have trauma and stuff. Once you know, once you know your traumas and you know, what's going on, like it's your responsibility then to do the best you can with it or don't, but then that's, that's you after a while. That's not an everybody else problem. So we've all kind of learned that together because even with our parenting, there's things for mine and Dan's childhood that comes up with the way we parent. And that's not Austin's problem, you know, or there's fears that we have that we project and that's not his problem or Weston's problem. So we've all learned more about each other for sure. It's required Dan and I to get really honest with each other about things and have some really, really hard conversations. Um, things that you wouldn't even know that come up about parenting until they come up, you know? Sure. Yeah. And so 
It's been great. I mean, I think, like I said, this year, we've really been on a good path and we're all a lot, a lot closer now, but mostly we've just all, we've all just had to learn how to show up for each other. I think that's really how it's brought us the closest together because I can tell you there has been, I mean, hundreds of doctor's appointments and therapy sessions and all these things that Weston has just come and sat in the waiting room with, with me, you know, like he's just, he's just part of that. And there will be times that Austin's got to do that for Weston, you know, and vice versa. So just learning that like we're a family unit and we all have to help each other. And sometimes it's not always going to be 50, 50 or 25, 25, 25. It's going to be, sometimes I have to give 90 and Austin has to give 10 and vice versa. You know, I think that is such an amazing lesson and just in life in general that like, it isn't all about you, but you have a responsibility to the people in your life, like to show up, like, because that's not an easy, I would imagine as a sibling that can be hard. If like one is getting more attention than, you know, if one of your siblings is getting more attention, that could be hard, but like you are a family and that is your job and your responsibility is to be there for each other, no matter what that looks like. And I think like making, like acknowledging that and making space for it. Cause that is something that like people grow up and have to work through, but it's just like, it's just the cards you were dealt and it's just part of life. And like, I think acknowledging that, and I think our generation is so good about that, acknowledging the different things that are harder Mm -hmm. and saying like, this might be harder for you than it is for your brother, or it's harder for your brother, whatever. And like making space for that conversation so that if they do feel some type of way about it, it's like an open door of communication. It's not like 15 years down the road and they're like, yeah. Oh yeah. We talk very openly. I mean, we talk about everything and that has been a big thing is I have learned that both with both of my kids, they just want to feel heard. Even if like, even if it's the most irrational, like Austin is currently mad at me because I won't let him have a Snapchat. He's 10. And I mean, and he really like, and I, and I hear him out every time. Like he will give me the reasons he will talk to me and I let him finish all his sentences. And the answer I know as he's talking, it's still a big fat hard no for me. Yeah, Yeah. But like, I'm going to let him say what he needs. They want to feel like they're being heard more than anything. And to your point, Taylor, I think it's really important to know that it is okay to parent your kids differently. And Mm -hmm. no matter what you do and how good your intentions are, they are going to grow up thinking that they were shafted some sort of, some way. We're all all going to be in therapy. Like Weston's probably going to grow up thinking that Austin got way more attention than him for all these outbursts. And he's going to remember like, you know, having to be quiet and small Mm -hmm. to not get hurt. And Austin's probably going to think that, you know, we were so much easier on Weston because he didn't have these big outbursts and we didn't have to have these fights. And there's nothing really do it. You know, what's cool is that you can sit here and say that. And I'm sure like 10 years from now, if they come to you and have those exact conversations, I'm sure it will still hurt because you're a mom and you, you know, you want them to feel anything, but like joy and happiness, it's just natural. But what's cool is that you kind of already have this in the back of your head, or even if it's something slightly different Mm -hmm. that they can come to you and it can be a conversation. Yeah. And if I can honestly say like, I did the best I could and I'm doing the best I can. And I feel like, and plus I'm going to play this back for them in 10 years. I'm going to be like, listen to this conversation. Look, look at how much thought I put into this. Like it's on the right. They came on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I know. One last question for you. I, when I love having, when we have people on that are coming from different background stories, whatever. And like, like when I talked about adoption, like I love hearing what are things that you wish people said or did differently when it comes to Austin or Weston and like what, as far as like language, like what are things that you wish that would be 
spoken differently about them? What are your things that you think are helpful? Like, like I know some people are like, I like that. It's just like talked about, like, I don't want it to be this like tiptoed around things. Some people aren't like that. Some people are like certain words are just a Shouldn't big fat said, no, no yeah. in our house. You know, like I want to hear from you, like what you taught me a lot in the adoption episode of like things that you do and don't say. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. And I think that's just like being open to being educated on that because we're not in, we don't all know everything. Yeah. So. And, it, and you can't, you know, it's, there's so many things, you know, our society is so butthurt about so much stuff these days. <laughs> And some things feel not like some things I'm like, come on, but like stuff like this, I'm like, yeah. I want to know yeah. this is important to me. Like, yes. I want to know when, you know, if I'm speaking to you about your child, like what are things that are respectful and mm-hmm. what are things that aren't? Sure. So I can't speak to, you know, everybody. I think, right. I think for me, I'm very low key about most of these things. Like I know, like, especially when you're talking about disorders that are technically on the spectrum, which like now ADD and ADHD are considered part of the spectrum and autism, Asperger's, there's a lot, you know, some people have very strong feelings about, you know, saying like typical neurotypical or atypical, all those things. Um, I've never felt like super strong about that, but I do respect it. So I have that. I usually use that verbiage. Um, but in general, I just think that for, I think it, there's parts of it that are talked about a lot when there's, you know, when there's obvious issues, when there's issues of developmental delays at school and things that you can see pretty quickly, it's easy for people to be accepting of like, there might be an issue. Mm-hmm. I think when there's like what I was dealing with, there's almost this level of like second guessing people and feeling like you can't talk about it and Mm. things that need to be hidden and stuff. So I mostly just wish it was more of an open thing. And I wish people understood that having ADD or ADHD is so much more than just like, can't pay attention in class, Mm -hmm. like not, not smart or like needs extra test time. It Mm. is those things like sometimes do are part of it. But what we have experienced is that it's so much more of like a self-esteem and needing acceptance and missing social cues and things like that. And the stigma that comes with that sometimes is really hard to discuss without feeling like there might be judgment. Yeah. Um, so I wish that it was just more, cause it's so, it's so common. It's so common, especially for boys to be diagnosed with it around this age. But for some reason, it's just not openly, I feel like discussed in the way that we're discussing it and the way it like affects people's lives at home and things like that. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you that, Cause I knew it was a, a like brain imbalance, but I wish that was talked about more. Cause mm-hmm. it almost like, not that it's not valid, but it almost adds this validity to it of like, listen to me, like things are just different across the board. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's just like when you have toddlers, like mm-hmm. we had that episode with Beth and it was like this oh, thing yeah. of like their brain isn't fully formed. And so they like, phys- like physically can't do X, Y, they and Z emotionally logical things together. And when you yeah. have that in the back of your brain, when you're working through something with them, it just, it makes it more like real instead of just like what's happening in the moment. And so I'm like, gosh, if we could talk about it in that way more, or maybe you disagree. I don't know. No, I completely agree with you. And like going back to kind of like at the beginning when we were defining emotional dysregulation and how that has to do with ADHD, you know, again, like, so because the underlying brain mechanisms that help manage emotions are affected by ADHD, emotional regulation development is delayed. So emotion hits quicker and it hits harder. So a lot of people might think like, can't control themselves, you know, no self-control, bad parenting, lack of discipline, all these things, but it really is just 
in their brain. Like it's a, it's a delay in their brain and they cannot help that. And like, yes, when you have the information and you have the resources, it's important to do the best you can with those things, Mm -hmm. but to assume people aren't doing the best they can or to Mm -hmm. judge a parent for putting them on medication. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really like, that is probably my biggest thing when it comes to what I wish people understood. Like, I don't know any parent who's like, just trying to get their kid on medicine. So it's easier to parent them like the end, like they're not like excited to do it. I maybe, maybe that's out there, but I have yet to experience it or talk to anybody with that experience. No, and I feel like anyone who takes it lightly. Yeah, yeah, I feel like for most parents, for the most part, we're extra cautious about what we give our yeah. kids. Like we'll put stuff in our body, but we're like, we're going to read all the labels. We're going to read everything we put into our kids' body. So even more so, I feel like we should be able to respect the parents that like go to that, you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's like, they have thought about it and they know this is what's best for their kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just really like the shame. Like that's why we love talking about these things on the podcast is just trying to remove the shame associated with so many things. And yeah. even just talking about um, the hard things because there is shame associated with so much that shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so I, we just really appreciate your story so, so much. Yeah. Thank I you for coming on. Yes. I just want to say one more thing. Cause I feel like, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, I was not to say, is there anything yeah. that you didn't get to say? I just think it's so important, you know, cause it's, it's important to share the hard stuff and like, and because so much of our story was so hard, there was more hard than good for a long time yeah. and that's okay. And, but I think it's really important to, you know, when we're talking about things that can help, I emphasize routine and I know we talked about, you know, shame spirals and how they kind of, they for Austin, he would always kind of walk around instantly feeling on the defense because there was always something that could be corrected. And so he was always ready to fight, always ready to snap. And one thing that's really helped us is positive reinforcement and feedback. I mean, like to the point where you feel like you're probably sounding disgusting and corny and you're like sick of hearing yourself talk anything that you can pick out that they've done that you're proud of. If they like, he made the bed yesterday without being asked. And I like acted like, you know, it was somebody's like surprise birthday party. You know, Yes. Like all those things. Like, I'm so proud of you for this. The smallest things. Like if, when he rinses off his plate and loads the dish, dishwasher without being asked, thank you for doing that. That makes such a big deal. It helps me so much. Just mm-hmm. anything. I'm proud of you for this. You know, um, a lot of times I think also, in Austin's case, he really feels like he almost has to perform or be the best at something to get this positive reinforcement. So always reminding him that like he, he's fine just the way he is and that we're proud of him if he's kind and he's happy and all those things. Um, so as much positive reinforcement that you can cultivate all the time, if they're hearing more negative things from you than positive during the day, like that's kind of my goal right now is to, it used to be, the wrong way there. And I try to make it more positive than negative these days, even if there's a really hard day or something we have to talk about. Yeah. That is such a good, it's really good. It's a good reminder. Yeah. Especially so early on, like I know he's 10, but that's so young and that being put into his brain and just building that self-esteem. Yeah. I think that's great. It's so good. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I know that, That I know that was a lot for you and like, we don't take it lightly. Tell Austin, thank you for us. Yes. Because I think that that is like, really cool of him, like being willing for that to be shared. And, um, he's a really cool kid. He is. So we're going to do, did you prepare things you're loving? I did. I thought so hard about this. (laughs) 
we, we usually get on like our Amazon or like, you know, yeah. what we bought from Target recently. Cause it's yeah. hard to like, we, I don't change a whole lot in my daily life. No. Well, especially when we record so much, it's like, God, we no, I feel bad for you guys that you have to pick things every time. I'm like, how you're going to end up with like more of a shopping problem than Carly already has. <laughs> <laughs> Except Taylor has the makeup problem. I She's do. always buying new makeup. I stick with what I like. You know? Yes. Yeah, okay. So tell us the things yeah, you're tell loving. Tell us the things you're loving. Okay. So I um, am always trying new coffee creamers and I found this Chobani coffee creamer the other day. It's Christmas like themed, but it's, it's so good. I love a peppermint mocha, like anything. And it is amazing. So I'm going to buy like four bottles of it next time I see it. I'm going to say the sweet cream one, but I can never find it. It's always it's out. It's only, I can only ever find it at Publix, sometimes angles, but I have Target to try. Target never has No, Target it. never has. I have to try the peppermint mocha because they make the best coffee creamers. They really do. They do. I haven't had the sweet cream one before, but <gasps> this one was really, really, I know I've heard it's amazing. I haven't been able to find it either. Yeah. It's so hard so, to find. Um, I've heard it's really good. Um, and the other thing I'm loving, so I've been working really hard on not watching TV before bed and like trying to read more, oh, girl. um, which is really difficult for me. Cause I love my reality TV, my housewives, my Kardashians, Kardashians? you guys, Wait, like, which, which housewives <laughs> franchise do you watch? Uh, all of them. <laughs> What's your favorite? <laughs> We need to chat. I love, I love Beverly Hills. Yes. Just like I'm obsessed with just like yes the lifestyle of it. But like also insane. like for the drama of it all, I love New Jersey. Like there's nothing better. Yeah. Than like I I have never I love those. oh my gosh it's but it's like I'm like I don't want you to get into it because it'll take over your life. I know, like if you're I'm not so- in it. Right. I mean, there's so many. I love OC and I just started watching Beverly Hills a couple of years ago when I've like gone back and watched, but we have to chat about all the drama that's happening now. We won't put the podcast. Oh gosh, you know, I have a couple episodes to catch up on because oh I've gosh, been reading. It's crazy. You got it. Yeah, I'm so excited, but what are you reading? <laughs> it's really expensive to buy new books all the time. Yeah. And I like, can't get to the library as much as I would probably like, as much as I like the idea of doing that. So I've been using the Libby app. Do you guys Ooh, yeah. that's what I use in my Kindle. Yeah, it's like the online library. So you yeah, can okay. um yeah, so you can like rent books online and stuff like that. Oh, you guys are home. Do you want to send Austin in here to come say hi? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I use um Libby and it's really fun because all get get on hold for all like the really popular books that are coming out right now. So it's like once a month, it'll oh, be like that's cool. You have a book available. Yes. One that it just like pops up. But wait a second. Did you guys know that you can share books on Kindle with each other, with only, other people? But only some books. I don't oh. do it for all of them. Because my friend Karen was asking me that she was like, I, she wanted to borrow one of the Hauling. Calling Hauling Hauling Yeah. <laughs> Calling Hoover. And she like looked it up. She was like, oh my gosh, we can share books. Some of them you can that's share, but some of them okay. they don't let you do it. Of course. Yeah. You know, that's how everything But Libby's so great. I love Libby. That was, it was the coolest discovery. I'm like, wait, I can't, it's like, you can browse online all you want. You can put as many books on hold as you want. So I, I have a lot of Colleen Hoover on hold. Yes, me too. I'm on hold for like five of her books. Hey, Austin. Hey, Austin. What you been doing? Uh, I've been at baseball. How was it? Fun. What position do you play? I want to play short and third. Very All cool. Right. You know, my husband played baseball in college, so we're a big baseball family too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Third, third base, third base is an important job. You, yeah. up, you up for it? I think you can handle it. Yeah. And yeah. shortstop. Yeah. That's the, they get the most balls, right? 
I don't know a whole lot about baseball. I'm acting like I know a whole lot. <laughs> I try. Love it. It's so good to meet it's you. It's so nice to meet you. We love your mom. She's she's a great she's mom. She's a good mom, isn't she? Yeah. 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 She is. Well, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they, wanted, they were telling me to tell you thank you for um, kind of giving me permission to talk about you today. So yeah. thank you so much. Thanks for her share. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> we, we really appreciate it. We've loved getting to know you too. Yeah. Are you okay that you might be on the podcast? Your little voice? No. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut it out if you don't want to be on it. on or you want to cut it out? Keep it. Keep it. Okay. You may want to listen to it later on. You yeah. never know. One day when you're a really famous professional baseball player, you'll yeah. want to come back and listen to this and say, I remember when I wanted to be a third base. And third base yeah. yeah. <laughs> so YouTuber. Yeah. Is that what you want to be? That's what all a the YouTuber? kids want to be. You know, I would want to be too. Who do you watch on YouTube? Um, I don't really know. I just scroll. It's yeah. just scroll. There's so many to watch. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go. Weston. No, Weston's good. We're good. <laughs> it was nice Hi, to Austin. meet you, Austin. <laughs> Oh my god! I love it. Okay, are those you? You did two things, right? Is that good? Yes, yes. That's good. Good. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely gonna download Libby. Um, okay, thank you so much. Yes, Truly, thank you for coming on. I mean, I want to have like a Facetime with you like all the time now. Yes, <laughs> know. Our voice memo texts are not enough. I know, and then we it usually takes a day for us to respond each. That's um, life. So seriously, thank you so much. This yes. we cannot wait for our listeners to hear this. You just you are so amazing. Yes, and so. we'll tag you. Everybody needs to go follow Grace. She's, yeah, she's wonderful. A, a great follow. Um, yes. Okay, guys. So that is our episode. Thanks for hanging out and getting messy with us. See, See you next week. week.